This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 84th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with longtime coach Rick Turner. Rick has coached and worked in many levels of basketball. He uh, was a Sonics employee for about a decade. He was a uh, radio commentator, former play-by-play announcer. Rick is the author of the book, If My Name Was Phil Jackson, Would You Read This? What a title. Uh, the Anonymous, Anonymous Adventures of an Anonymous Coach. Rick was also basically at a supporting actor role in the 2012 nonfiction book, Brave, Jagan, Brave, Brave Dragons by Jim Gardley, who was the uh, Beijing, China, New York Times chief correspondent at that time. Uh, I'm definitely going to ask Rick about his uh, coaching of the uh, 20. 24 Jamaican national team. Uh, my sports and stuff show has been around now for over three years. I'm doing this uh, as a supplement to my law practice. And you can follow me on Twitter at pluslawoffices.com. Most of my interviews are now up on YouTube and they're also on the Rainier Avenue radio website, most of them. Well, Rick, we've met a few times over the years. Uh, I know your mother in law, Sharon, very good lady. I appreciate coming on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue radio. Paul, this is awesome. Thanks for uh, having me. And I know we've talked about this a lot, um, mostly in the parking lot at Husky Stadium, but uh, it's great to be with you. I, I can't believe that you actually found 83 other people that were more fascinating than me, but, but that's okay. To be in the top 100 is great. Rick, you're being you're being self-deprecating. I would I would say the <laughs> list is more chronological than, than based on preference. So it's it's just been a timing thing. So all sorts of every interview has been interesting, and it's it's just uh, sort of a timing thing, and and it's it, it's also based on someone can come on my show if they want to come on. So no, it's great. I I, I I'm glad glad to be here, and thanks for um, doing this with me. Absolutely. Well, I I, I know uh, one of your family members, and you know my my. Good friend Chris Davis, and we go back with Chris for a long time. So it's, it's fun to fun to do a, a little chat. Hey, Rick, uh, I guess this is my first question. How did you come up with the title of your book? It's a very catchy title for a basketball fan. If my name was Phil Jackson, would you read this? How did you come up with that catchy title? Well, I you know it's I've been swimming in anonymity when it comes to coaching for a while, and you know, part of it was um, kind of like being a smartass, really. Part of it was was <laughs> like, well, I mean, if my name was Phil Jackson, would you read this book? And then, you know, obviously, when you got the name Phil Jackson in the title of your book, it might show up on someone's Google search if they're looking for looking for something um, about him. So, I mean, it kind of uh, served the dual purpose that allowed me to 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 kind of vent a little bit, but also um, maybe brought my search up a little higher on Google. Very clever, Rick. Maybe I should retitle my show. If my name was Larry King, would you listen? Very, very, very clever. I, I, I like it. I like it. You That's know, funny, I, Paul. I, I, you Rick, say that, you, you say that about Larry King. Sorry to interrupt, but, but it, it's, uh, I, I kind of thought I was the only Larry King fan left. I was I was a kid that grew up listening to Larry King late at night and and in fact I'll tell you a quick story that I was I you know I I was only a listener but on his last night on the radio he was on the Mutual Radio Network and on his last night I felt like I had to call in and and I did so and felt 
felt pretty honored to get in on his last night of his radio show before he moved over to exclusively television. It's a cool story. I grew up listening to Larry too, and he's 87 years old. He still has, still has a show going. Um, I saw him like the Aura Network. He does like a couple of day a week shows. So I've listened to some of his, uh, I guess we call them podcasts in, in recent months. Yeah. Uh, it was really neat, Rick, in your book, and I haven't read all of it, but I, I've read a, a chunk of it, is it was really neat that George Carl, the famous coach, wrote the forward to your book. He describes you as being a real gym rat. Do you agree with Coach Carl's assessment of you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that that's a description that's followed me around for a long time. Um, you know, I like, I like, I like the game. I like being in the gym. You know, I like, uh, you know, evaluating players and, and I just, I'm entertained by it and, and can't seem to figure out a way to get away from it. So, yeah, I was, I think that's a pretty apt description. Rick, you know, in your book, you, you write about all the different levels of coaching you've engaged in. It's pretty incredible. Community college, high school, semi-pro. You've, you've just seen basketball from so many different angles. And I have a question for you. Who is the best X's and O's basketball coach you've ever encountered? And who is the best motivational coach that you've ever encountered? And I have a follow-up question for you after those questions as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, that X's and O's, it's interesting. I, I'm going to bring up a, a guy, I mentioned him in my book. He's actually, he's an assistant coach of mine with this, uh, Jamaica team that I'm doing and he's coaching in high school right now. And his, his name's Omar Parker. He, he's just from an X's and O's standpoint, he's absolutely brilliant. And you know, nobody knows about him because he's coaching in high school. And, and he and I were having this discussion, uh, you know, and, and, and actually my entire staff, we, we did a 24 hour broadcast uh, last weekend and, and I had my staff on to kind of kick the whole thing off. And, you know, with the recent passing of a couple of local Seattle legendary coaches in Ed Peppel from Mercer Island high school and Keith Kingsbury, um, who coached for many years at Edmonds Community College, you know, we just kind of talked about the fact that you can be an outstanding coach who has a humongous impact in the lives of, of um, uh, both young kids and, and older kids, you know, men and women. Um, and just because you're not making millions of dollars in the NBA, it, it doesn't sure. diminish it doesn't, you know, diminish how, how good of a coach you are. And, you know, Omar has been brilliant and, you know, kind of sticking along, you know, that, in that, that same path. I, I used to have, a, you know, a semi-regular meeting with Bob Witsit. Um, we'd just go have coffee over in Medina and kind of catch up and I'd let him know what was going on with me. And, he would let me know what's going on with, with him. And we haven't done it for quite a while, but he just in picking my brain asked me the same question one time. And I mentioned Quinn Snyder, um, who's, as you know, is the coach of the Utah jazz now. And, but at the time, I think Quinn was in the D league and I think Bob, you know, I don't want to say he was in disbelief that I said that, but, but, you know, there was no reason to, to think 
for what Quinn has, had done up to that point in his career that um, I would hold him in that type of regard. But the guy is absolutely brilliant. I think it's been, it's been proven with his time with the jazz and it's, you know, it's not surprising that two guys that were, were brought up in the game under Ed Peppel have, you know, become so impactful in the coaching world, you know, one at the highest level in the world and one at a more local level, but, but still the, the impact and the knowledge and the, the ability to, to lead and move people is, is um, just the same. Um, it, those are great names. And I, I, on a personal note, I just want to share with you that I knew Omar's late brother, Chris. He's, he right. was a college friend, great, great young man who died way too young. And I want to share with you, too, this interview is about you, not me, but I want to mention, also mention that Keith Kingsbury is the late uncle-in-law of my sister. My sister, Leah, married Keith's uh, nephew, Tim. So I have oh, is that right? some... Yeah, so the couple of the people you mentioned are great people, and I have, you know, some, I guess we can call it uh, connections or peripheral connections to them. So I just want to mention Chris Parker, Omar's late brother, and Keith Kingsbury, the late CC coach. So um, who is a, who, who, you, who stood out as a great motivator as a coach, whether at the Little League level or NBA level? Who, who, who do you always admire as a motivator as a coach who really gets you know, out of I don't, players or her players? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know that you have to be a, the, the traditional type of uh, rah-rah motivating coach to get a lot out of your players. Um, that certainly isn't my style. And I've never really gravitated toward those type of coaches. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I think there's so many different ways to get it done, right, Paul? You know, um, uh, if, if, you know, if, if you said to um, come over to your office and, and meet you to, to have a discussion about hoops or something, there's so many different ways for me to get there, you know, and sure. I could take a cab, I could Uber it, I could walk i could ride a bike i could take the bus i could drive i could you know and no there none of them would be the wrong way to get there you know as long as i got there and um on time and and with the ability to to follow through with the meeting there's no right way of doing it so so i don't know i mean I, this is i guess my way of kind of punting on the question i don't know that anyone stands out to me in terms of like a, a rah-rah type of uh, a motivating guy. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the question, but um, I, you know, so many coaches do it in so many different ways. You know, I spent the 2003 season as a consultant with the Washington Huskies, and and so I was there every day, and I saw Lorenzo Romar, and and, and you know, that was the year, if you remember, uh, when Nate Robinson hit the half court buzzer beater to beat Oregon State when the team oh, was yeah. really right was down and and then all of a sudden that sort of uh, lit a spark i think for that team and you know they went on to to finish a, a great year and then even the next year were were even better than that but i wouldn't consider coach romar a motivating type of coach in, in that way but he was able you know he had a way to reach players and and um uh and get to them in, you know, uh, in a way that, that, that where they responded and, and were able to have great success. So 
again, I just, it gets back to, there's just lots of, of different ways to do it. I kind of think if, if you're constantly um, relying on pumping up emotionally, at, at some point that becomes sort of uh, deaf. I think it falls on, on, on deaf ears at, at some point, you know, then all of a sudden when it doesn't work, you know, it's, it's done. <laughs> you know, you, you've lost your voice at that point. I think you, you kind of pick your spots to be, to be motivating in that sort of way. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Coach Rick Turner having a fun conversation. Rick, I, I really enjoyed how you answered my question about who's the best motivator you've seen as a coach. You, you gave some perspectives, and you mentioned there's, there's different routes, like there's different roadways to get to a home. But let me ask you a follow-up about that. Mm-hmm. How about the Bobby Knight in your face approach? Are there some approaches to coaching, Rick, that you would just say that goes a little too far? Well, I would never, it's like telling someone how to be a parent, right? You know, like if, if this is the way you do your job, you do you. Um, it, it's either going to work or it doesn't work. And ultimately, if that's not the right way to get it done, then you're not going to have a job very long. Um, I do think that it's much more difficult in today's world I don't, you know, this makes me sound like old man, you know, like the, like the, the guys <laughs> up in the balcony in the Muppet show, you know, talking about, <laughs> talking about how it used to be done in the old days. But, but it does seem to be true that, that getting into uh, players are, are just much, seem to be much more sensitive today. And um, it, that seems to be the case. I don't know if if it works. Then it then it works and and um, and I I think there's some I think when it what it comes down to Paul is authenticity I think you know if if it's if it's, if it's authentically you then um, then you can get away with it and if I think if if your players know that you care about them um, then they can handle um, some more coarse language or, uh, you know, a, a, a more um, aggressive approach. But if they think that, that you, you don't have their best interest in mind, then you're, you're going to have a problem. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, that goes the same if you have a, a, a subtle approach as well. Kind of willing to way of extrapolating your answer. You're kind of willing to give a coach some discretion in the best uh, coaching techniques. Kind of what I'm gathering. Hey, Rick, we're gonna get yeah, into. Paul, but, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna say, but but the great thing about coaching and the great thing about athletics is it's it's a results-oriented business, right? I mean, you, there's a you're getting measured every night. You're getting measured every season, and and either the way you do it, you know, shows up in the in your results or it doesn't. And so I, I think ultimately that's what makes it the most, most fair um, uh, when, you can, when you can just go by and, 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 and see how, you, how it works out for you. Interesting stuff. Rick, I'm definitely going to get into this interview with your work with the Jamaican national team, but I want to, want to get into a few other topics as well before we hit on what you're doing with that, mm-hmm. uh, with that team. 
You know, Rick, you, you were able to play basketball, I think, at Lake Washington High School as part of a no-cut policy. And I can really relate to that, Rick, because when I was growing up, there were some teams I made and some teams I did not make. Um, but I've always been a believer, and challenge me on this if you want, that the K-12 through time in that particular age group, why not make teams more inclusive for kids? Why not figure out ways to get more kids on teams rather than exclude somebody from having a chance to participate? Where, where do you come out on that, Rick? Basketball and sports at the K through 12 level levels. Well, I think what you're referring to was was go back to when I was in junior high. Um, I was cut, 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 and then when I was in the ninth grade the school district passed a rule that said you couldn't cut kids anymore. And had they not passed the rule, I likely would have been cut again. But it also sort of coincided with me going through a growth spurt and getting bigger and taller. And, you know, I was practicing and trying to get better and I, and I ended up getting better. And, and I think, you know, kids progress at a, um, at different stages, you know, there uh, probably for most of the people listening to this, they can remember a kid that when they were 12 years old in their area was just absolutely dominant in, in all the youth leagues. And then by the time they got to high school, he or she disappeared, you know, or they, right. you know, they right. went from being the best basketball player in the, in the County to, you know, being five, seven, when they were in seventh grade and five, seven, when they were in 12th grade. So, you know, everyone kind of matures a little differently. And, and, and so that rules personally helped me. Um, I do think, I think it would be great if there were opportunities for kids to play um, all through K through 12, like you say. And I think, you know, I think there are actually, there are opportunities for them to play. But, you know, there's also something to be said about competition and finding the best 12, you know, basketball players or the best, you know, uh, 50 football players or the best, you know, 20 soccer players, you know, whatever that is, there's, there's still room for, for the kids that that aren't in that in that group to play at a recreational level, that's why there's parks and recs departments. And but but the the benefits that you get from competing and um, you know having to outwork the person next to you and um, the camaraderie that you get, the the the, the discipline that you get. Um, it just, it, it's not the same when it's at the rec level. I think at the rec level, you're, you should be playing it to, to have fun and to stay active and to, um, you know, I think um, you can still scratch that competitive itch somehow. But uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with, um, with real competition at the, at the highest level. You can, you can find it. Interesting feedback. Paul Schumann, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Coach Rick Turner. Yeah, I, you, you kind of got where I was laying that question. And you're, and you're right. I mean, it's hard to 
I guess like everyone on every team, but you know, it just seems to me there's ways to 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 be a little more inclusive. Let let me ask you kind of a follow up to that question, Rick, about um, the whole topic of cutting kids from teams. Is would you go along with a rule change in high school basketball where the games would go from 32 to 40 minutes in Washington State? I believe the high school games were still 32 minutes. The games would go to 40 minutes, but there would be a, a policy where each kid on the team needs to get, say, two or three minutes of playing time in the game. Could you go along with some rules change that would get more kids who are suited up a chance to participate in the game? Not at the varsity level. I, I wouldn't ha I'd have no problem with that, at, you know, in the junior varsity or freshman level or C team level. Um, I think at the varsity level, I don't think there's anything wrong with healthy competition. And, and I've been in youth leagues where the playing time was, was mandated. And, and there's some, there's certainly some good features to that. Um, especially when you're talking about, you know, 12 and 13 year olds, uh, to give them an opportunity. But the, the thing is, there are so many opportunities out there right now for kids to find teams to play with that um you know you don't you can't you can't just um how, what's the best way to put it you can't just uh, legislate that a kid can play for whatever team they want okay You're making me think more about uh, some of the ideas i'm throwing out rick rick i've read jim Yardley's book, Brave Dragons, I mentioned an introduction. Uh, it's a book about Bob Wise's year coaching, or maybe mispronouncing the name of the city, Chansey Brave Dragons in the 2008-2009 season in China. You were the Bob's assistant, former Sonics coach Bob Wise. I want to ask you, what did you think of Mr. Yardley's book? And as I mentioned earlier, you had kind of a supporting actor role in that uh, in that story, how did you like the way you were portrayed in the book by Jim Yardley? Um, well, first of all, I love the book. I love Jim. He's an awesome dude. He um, spent the year with us. For those that don't know, he took a sabbatical from the from the New York Times to write a book, and he was he started out to write a book about um, the kind of the difference in culture between U S, uh, basketball and basketball in China. And he just so happened, he was, his plan was to go from team to team within the Chinese basketball association, which is kind of the NBA equivalent in China. And coach Weiss and I were in, uh, Shanxi, um, which is about 300 miles South of Beijing in a small little town of 3 million people. Um, in China. And he ended up coming to our team and never leaving because it was such, such um, <laughs> craziness. And so that's kind of what the book was about. In fact, he sold the movie rights to that book. And um, I don't know, I haven't checked in with him lately, but I don't know whether it's, it's gone any further than that, whether anyone is trying to uh, write a screenplay for, for it um, yet, but I'm sure that uh, between Brad Pitt and Bradley Cooper, one of them will probably be cast to play me. 
<laughs> I love. It. I was going to ask you. You just you just read my uh, my next question. I was going to ask you to cast to play Rick Turner. Love, yeah. love the answer. I, I really enjoyed the book, and, and I know you a little bit. It was fun to read about your role as the assistant, and there's an interesting story about what happened to you. I don't want to give away the whole the whole book when you were in, in your book when when you were uh, spent some time in China. But it, it, one one thing I like about that book, Rick, is it gives a reader a chance to learn about Chinese culture through through basketball stories, and and it really it, it kind of breaks down. Chinese culture, less textbook way. I'm sure you'd agree with that um, thinking. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a, a, an experience that was so unique, and I'm so um, happy that I was able to get that experience. And um, it was interesting because I never, I always felt like, well, I could just, you know, if, if all else fails, I'll just go home. I never felt trapped over there or anything, which made it, I think, a little bit easier. Another thing about it is we really got treated well. Um, so that kind of made it fun. But yeah, there there's definitely some some cultural um, things that I ran up against and the, that you know all of us ran up against that were learning experiences. Um, but I would go back in a heartbeat if if given the opportunity. So you so looking back like 12, 13 years later, Rick you would have no problems recommending to an American player or coach to, to go and give the China, China Basketball Association a chance? Oh, no, not at all. But I don't think it's for everybody. I mean, in, in fact, I mean, that's part part of what the book was about for with Jim. And, and I know I, I touched in it in my book. You know, we had who I thought was one of the best players in the league um, in Dante Smith, who uh, – was someone that that never made a, an impact in the NBA, but was that was only because of, of I think timing and in situation and circumstance. You know, it's one thing that that I learned through this journey is that there are so many really really good players who never just like just like you know bands. You know, like there's a lot of a lot of great bands who that no one's ever heard of, and and it's some of it is just luck and. You know, Dante Smith was just kind of unlucky in his basketball career from an NBA standpoint. He's had a he's had a great professional career, but overseas. Anyway, he, he was with our team. He was one of the best players in the league. And our owner had a chance to sign Bonzi Wells, who uh, had a name and um, was a former teammate of Yao Ming, which made a difference in China and you know, Bonzi was a popular player. And so he brought Bonzi in at the expense of Dante Smith because you can only have two foreign players. And um, our other foreign player was a um, big man, a center uh, by the name of uh, Illumide Oyadeji. And so, you know, we weren't going to cut him. And so in order to, to make room for Bonzi, we got rid of the best player in the league. So, um, you know, coming full circle to your question of would I recommend China to anyone, I certainly would, but you have to have the right makeup in order to um, embrace that experience, which Bonzi never did. He, did, he I don't think he ever enjoyed anything about being in China. Um, maybe he was too far from home. He wasn't very experimental with his food choices. <laughs> and, 
you know, he, he just, he was a little aloof when it came to getting to know the Chinese players and, and, you know, he was a great guy and I enjoyed my time with him. And this is nothing disparaging to Bonzi. I'm just saying that some people are able to, um, take advantage of a situation like that. And some are just uncomfortable in it. And it, it, it just so happened Bonzi was uncomfortable and, and Dante embraced it and his teammates loved him. And, and we, we let him go and he ended up signing in Australia and winning a championship in Australia that same year. And then he's been in Israel and he's been the MVP over in, in that league, which is a really good league over there. And so, so that was, that was our loss, but um, yeah, great experience, fun, fun experience. I'd recommend anybody uh, reading Brave Dragons. It's, it, it's really well done, and, and Jim's a great writer. Oh, it's a great book. And, and I thought that the, the, the biographical stories that Jim Yardley has in his book are, are, are fun to read, and he writes about you, and he, he writes about Bonzi Wills, and it, 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 the, the book really makes you think, and it's, and it's, uh, it's a very well-written book. Um, Rick, I do want to get a well, real quick question, too. Um, I, I've met Bob Wise over the years. I, I used to live in the Madison Park area, and I, he doesn't know me, but we've talked over the years. His wife seems like a nice lady, too. Are, are you in touch with Bob Wise, and, and how's he doing? Yeah, he's doing well. I talked to him I talked to him over the summertime. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, whether he would want to get involved with the stuff I'm doing in Jamaica a little bit. And, um, I checked in on his family. I think they just moved to San Diego. They were living in Denver and, and, uh, now they're over in San Diego, I think to be close to their grandkids. He's doing great. And Tracy, his wife is doing great. And they're just, they're fun people to be around. And, and I couldn't have picked a better guy to, to spend my time in China with than Coach Weiss. He, he's just oh, fantastic. Yeah. Very affable guy. Just seems like a really down-to-earth guy. I remember seeing Coach Wise in the Madison Park, Les Shy neighborhoods over the years. He, he would talk to the fans just like he would talk to anybody else. He just seems like a really, really good guy. We officially yeah. got like five minutes left. Are you okay if we go a couple extra minutes, Rick? Oh, of course, yeah. I love, Thanks, I love talking I, hoops. I, Absolutely. Um, Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Rick Turner. This interview will be on Rainier Avenue Radio, or part of it will be on, and and then we'll also have a, a, a YouTube edition of this interview. So, Rick, tell us what's going on right now. You, you've been announced as the coach of the Jamaican national team. I see various celebrities uh, like Kevin Calabro, Dave Sims, Steve Kelly, Gaston O'Grosby are – I think part of a fundraiser for your Jamaican national team. Tell us what's going on. Yeah. Well, um, man, I am so excited about this opportunity. I've been doing basketball camps in Jamaica uh, for over 20 years and, you know, just got to know a lot of the people involved uh, in the local basketball scene down there. And, and, you know, so many former campers that we've had we've turned them into coaches now and and it's become like a second family down there to me and this opportunity came up um i put a plan together to uh, what i thought i could do to to bring the program forward and and uh they they liked the look of it and decided to allow me to take a swing at at, at doing it and trying to our goal is to 
bring the team to the Olympics for the first time ever. Our, our, um, our plan is the Paris Olympics in 2024. And I think we've got, you know, we've got the ingredients to do it, but what we lack is funding. And um, so I thought that um, I could really try to focus a fundraising effort in the U.S. and Canada in the uh, specifically to the Jamaican diaspora in the uh, in the U.S. and and people that that had a tie to Jamaica, you know, had an interest, whether it be uh, from family ancestry lineage, lineage they were um, they're up here now. Um, they just love the country. They love the Jamaica brand. Or you love basketball and you want to be a part of something cool and, um, you know, be a part owner of a team and, and, and watch them as, as they try to make history. And, you know, so many people, I, I, I talk about what I'm doing and so many people bring up the Jamaica bobsled team, you know, and it resonates with people and the brand resonates with people and, and Usain Bolt and Bob Marley. It's just a really cool opportunity to do something that can change the lives of people in a real, in a real way. And so um, last weekend we did a 24 hour live stream just to kind of announce to the world who we are, what we're doing and to invite them to come, come along with us. And um, you know, like your podcast, it's available on YouTube um, and on Facebook on the Jamaica basketball project we had 24 hours of, of guests and, and, and hoops talk and Jamaica talk, and it was really awesome. Um, you, you mentioned some of them, but, you know, we had John Calipari on. We had Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. We had Quinn Snyder on. So um, we had so Sean Paul on, the, the Jamaican Grammy award-winning artist and and uh, Mike Silver from the NFL Network was on with Graz and Gas, and uh, Romaro Gill, who's a Jamaican uh, center who played at Seton Hall last year. He's entering the NBA draft this year, 7-3, and was the defensive player of the year at Seton Hall. We had a couple of the reggae boys uh, from back in the 98 World Cup. Uh, we had Terry Stotts on. We had Dwayne Casey on. We had Marcus Johnson. Um, I'm leaving a ton of people out, but it was just really a, a, a lot of fun to, to the people that stepped up and, and showed their support for it and wanted to be involved. And and so I would I would just urge all of your listeners to go check it out. 24 for 24. It's over on on YouTube and Facebook under the Jamaica Basketball Project. And I would also encourage them, if they want to be a part of something really special, to think about um, uh, donating to what we're doing. It, it is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and um, uh, it's just going to be a cool experience. And, and wouldn't it be something, Paul, to, to say that you had a hand in helping bring a team to, to, the, to the Paris Olympics uh, for the first time ever? And and it can be your team, you know? So it's that's a, what I'm doing. It's a neat cause. I love it. It's a neat cause where, you know, it's funny. I, I, I actually had a question for you about the Jamaican bobsledding team. I'm familiar with that story. I know Hollywood did a movie on that. Are, are there any similarities to basketball in Jamaica and bobsledding in Jamaica? Or is basketball well, just a lot more advanced in Jamaica than what bobsledding was? 
when well the, I would uh, think it's yeah I would about. I would think it's definitely more advanced um, you know the what they've done with bobsled is remarkable right and the the marketing behind that and um, you know that they also have a women's bobsled team now and they've had you know wonderful success with that um, certainly more success than basketball has ever had. So it's hard to really kind of make that comparison. It's a winter sport in a Caribbean country. So, you know, to say that, 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 you know, uh, if you're growing up in Jamaica, that you dream to be a bobsledder, I don't know how many people have that dream. Um, maybe, maybe they do, but, but there's no snow. I can tell I can tell you that for <laughs> firsthand experience. But but I do think there are kids that grow up um, dreaming of being NBA basketball players and um, maybe uh, putting on a jersey uh, with their country's name on the chest of it. And so, um, you know, the, I, I don't know that there's many comparisons or similarities, but if we could come, where, come somewhere close to matching uh, the excitement and the um, – the the marketing that that uh, the Jamaica bobsled has has come, then I think we'll we'll have a great opportunity to build something special, just as they have. Rick, wish you only the best, and I, I hope we can stay in touch a little bit more, and I can learn what's going on with your uh, coaching the Jamaican national team. Really looking forward to it. And there is a famous Jamaican player of Jamaican descent, Pat Ewing. We can't forget that. So there are. I've heard some- of him. Yeah, I have heard of him too, believe it or not. So there are some some good uh, hoop players that go to Jamaica. That name Pat Ewing obviously stands We've out. We've got two oh, in the draft this year. Oh, two? That's cool. Two in the NBA. Yeah. Wow, wow two. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad number. Well, Rick, yeah. I'm gonna. Uh, I'd love to talk to you more about your all your life experiences, I, and hopefully you can maybe come back one day on my show. But I want to ask you a final question. And this is a question I've been having a, a lot of high horse asking this question. I'm getting all sorts of different answers. Uh, yes. Dave Grosby answered Floyd Merriweather. Dave Sims answered Sandy Koufax. Softy Mahler answered Tiger Woods. All sorts of other names. If you could interview or have an extended conversation with one living sports figure, who would it be? Well, um, God, immediately, the, the one that immediately comes to mind is Muhammad Ali. Um, you know, the they didn't call him the greatest for, for nothing. I mean, just an amazing, amazing life story to not only, to not only be the best who's ever lived in, in your sport, but to um, also, you know, have such an impact socially as he had. Um, It would just be fascinating to, to be able to sit down and talk with him. And, and everything I've heard about him was that he was just a really genuine, um, great person to know on a, on a, you know, on a personal level, I would, I would love the opportunity to, to sit down with him. Um, you know, he's, he, he comes to mind immediately, but it's a great question. I'd love to, love to no spend doubt. a little bit more time thinking about it. Yeah, no doubt Muhammad Ali. He is deceased now, though. Who, who would be? Let me ask you again. Who would be a living sports figure? So oh, I'm that, sorry, that's did still I miss around? Your... No, it's okay. No, oh. no, it's you're fine. You're fine. Muhammad Ali is a great, great name in uh, sports history. Who would be a living sports figure 
you'd love to have a conversation with or interview? Um, pick one. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Pick one. Oscar Pistorius. I wow. want to know what exactly happened that night. That is a great name. That is a fascinating name. I've gotten so many names. I'm going to add that name, Oscar Pistorius, to the list. I mean, doesn't, well, does, doesn't that make you think, man? Like, like, there's no way this guy just murdered his girlfriend, is there? It is, it is like a Dateline story plus. I mean, it's such yeah. a fascinating, horrible homicide story. And... I've read about that case a little bit. You know, with my attorney background, I find that case very interesting as well. But what, what a great name to add that that list. Well, Rick, I really appreciate you taking some time to come on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Loved every minute of it. And let's you and I stay in touch. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, Paul. You too. Thanks.